Coming to you live from WTHI Delsey Studios in sunny Los Angeles, California, the Hush Hush Society presents Declassified Discussions with Slick Frank Sanders and the Molly Wop Band. Featuring a special guest, and here's your hosts, Mystery Mike and Declassified Dave. Good evening, Hushlings, and welcome to another exciting Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour presents Declassified Discussions. Tonight, we have a very special guest. He's an author of the Into the Rabbit Hole book series. He is a well-versed person in so many different subjects that we will all be super excited for, and we will get into so many subjects tonight. It's going to be really great. I am, as always, your host, Mystery Mike. And I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. Welcome our guest, please, Hushlings, Mr. Micah Dank. How's it going, guys? Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate you being here. Briefly, tell the hushlings, tell everybody out there in, in TV land about your expertise, what your what your background is. Tell us a little bit about who is Micah Dank. So my background is basically uh, I'm an astrotheologist. And for those who've never heard those two words combined, it's basically the <laughs> mythology around the Zodiac. What I do is I explain what the Zodiac is, and I explain how the Bible is just an encoded version of the sun going through the 12 signs of the Zodiac. So I go through biblical passages, and I explain how how they relate to the Zodiac. That is very intriguing. That's fascinating sounding. Let's look at a real quick one, a simple verse that I guess uh, is very widely known. Explain the connection between Genesis and astrotheology. Well, there's a couple of things. Um, for me to be able to do this, I have to explain the 12 signs to you guys and explain what they mean. <laughs> All right. In order to do that. So it takes about five, 10 minutes. But if you want, I could start with that. Absolutely. This is your time. Yeah, Hell let's yeah. do it. All right. So the first sign that I talk about is Aquarius, which is the sign of the man with the water pitcher. As you guys know, it means pouring the water pitcher out. So any, and he's the sign of the man. So anytime you hear the word son of man or, or man or like boy, for example, or water pitcher or running water or baptism or, or stream or lake, things like that nature, they're talking about Aquarius. Then Pisces is the sign of the two fish in the water. Then Aries is the ram. And in Aries, you have March 21st, which is the spring equinox. It's a 12 hour day, 12 hour night. It's also, in Aries, is when the Jewish people celebrate the Passover. Now, for the Jewish people, the Passover is when the sun, I'm sorry, is when God passes over Egypt and delivers judgment to the firstborn sons of the Egyptians to kill them in order to let the uh, Jewish people out of Egypt. It was the 10th plague. However, in astrotheology, the Passover literally means that. It's the Passover. It's when the sun passes over the equator, and it's on its way back to its height in the summer solstice. Now, in Christianity, the passing over is changed, and it's called the resurrection of God's Son. So you can see how it's two separate meanings, but they basically mean the same. And uh, the Jewish people were the people of Aries, as we are the people of Aquarius right now. And as the people of Aries, who, which is the ram, that's why the Jewish people blow the ram's horn to the sky. 
They don't know why they do it, but that's why they do it. Um, and Taurus is the bull. And when you look at the sky and you see Taurus during the season where it's supposed to be, you know that you need to put the plow on the bull hmm. so that you can plant the seeds so that you can harvest in Virgo and Libra. Remember, this science was come, came up a, thousand, a couple thousand years ago when they actually, before they actually had uh, farming equipment. They used to literally put the plow on the bull and then tow the hmm. field. Then Gemini is the twins. It's the sign of Castor and Pollux Troy, whose sister was Helen of Troy, which is the story of Achilles. Then Cancer is the crab, and it's the sideways moving creature. So humans don't move sideways, okay? We move front to back, we move diagonally, but we don't shuffle sideways. That's not how we walk, but the crab does. And the reason Cancer is the crab is because the sun in Cancer literally shuffles sideways. So let me explain real quick. Starting on December 25th, the sun rises a degree on its axis, and it continues to rise an additional degree on its axis every single day until it hits June 21st, which is the summer solstice, which is the height that the sun will rise on its axis. Then for three consecutive days, it literally walks sideways. It stays at that height. Then on June 25th, it lowers a degree, and then it continues to lower a degree every single day until it hits December 21st. December 21st is the winter solstice when the sun does not rise above the horizon at all. You can't see it. Okay. So they used to say God's sun was dead on December 21st. And then just like it walked sideways for three days in June, it walked sideways for three days in December too. So they used to say God's sun was dead for three days. Hence Jesus being dead for three days. Then on December 25th, which is his birthday, the sun rises a degree again. So every single day, the sun rises a degree except for six days out of the year. Okay. And I just basically explained that to you. All right. So Leo is the king, the lion, the king of the jungle. The ruling planet of Leo is actually the sun. So when they're talking about the kingdom of heaven being in Leo, I mean, when they're talking about the kingdom of heaven on earth, they're talking about the sun being in its home planet of Leo. See, the idea is that Jesus is the son, S-U-N, of God, not the S-O-N of God. Okay, that's what astrotheology teaches. Then Virgo Virgo is the woman holding the wheat stalk, if you've ever seen a sign, the sign of mm-hmm. Virgo. So when you plant in Taurus, basically the reason it's a virgin with a wheat stalk is because you plant in Taurus and then the virgins would come out during Virgo and cultivate the wheat in order to make the bread for the year. So whenever you hear virgin or young woman or woman or wheat or barley or grain or seed or things that have to do with grain, they're talking about Virgo. Okay. And as far as Leo goes, anytime you hear the word lion or lioness or cub, they're talking about Leo. Then Libra is the justice and it's the scales. It's the balance. It's the just one. And the reason it's justice and the scales is because it judges God's sun. So I told you guys before that in Aries, the sun rises above, it passes over the equator and it's celebrated. Well, in Libra, the sun passes over the equator again, but this time in Libra, it passes over the um, equator on its way back down into its death which I mentioned before, which is December 21st, okay? So anytime you hear the word justice or judgment or judging or judge or law or tax or marriage or things that have to do with courts, they're talking about Libra. Libra is also wine season, okay? So you plant in Taurus and then you harvest the grapes in Libra. If you've ever been to a vineyard, 
uh, during September, October, you'll notice that it's completely full and you can pick the grapes off of everything. People tend to only go to the vineyards during the springtime when it's completely bare empty. But if you go during Libra, it's full and you can actually pick the grapes. Okay, so anytime you hear grapes or juice or, or, or wine or vineyard or vine or grapevine, they're talking about Libra as well. Libra is also olive season. Okay, so anytime, like for Jesus going to the Mount of Olives, for example, that's a metaphor for him going to Libra. Then Scorpio is the scorpion and he is the betrayer. When a scorpion bites you, it leaves an imprint in your skin that looks like two lips. Okay, so the ancients would get bit by a scorpion, they'd lift it up, and it looked like it kissed him. But the kiss is full of poison from the Scorpio, so that's the betrayal. It's a metaphor. So that's where the mafia gets the kiss of death from. And it's why Jesus was betrayed by Judas with a kiss, is because Judas represents one of the 12 signs of the Zodiac, which is Scorpio, and he betrays him with a kiss. So the sun is judged in Libra. Then it's betrayed in Scorpio, and then finally in Sagittarius, this is where the bow and the arrow, the horsemen, the bow and the arrow, shoot the sun and inflict further punishment on the sun. Okay? And that's because December 21st is the day of death. So anytime you hear the word horse or horseman or bow or arrow or things of that nature, they're talking about Sagittarius. Whenever there's a death in the Bible, they're talking about Sagittarius because in astrotheology, the death comes December 21st, which is Sagittarius. Then finally, you have Capricorn, which is the goat. Because if you look at the zodiac wheel, the zodiac at the bottom starts. Uh, the bottom starts in Capricorn. Okay, Capricorn is December twenty fifth. That's the day the sun climbs a degree, and it starts the metaphorical climb up the mountain back to its height in the summer solstice. Just like the goat climbs the mountain, that's why it's a goat. So those are the twelve signs. Wow, absolutely phenomenal. That was a great explanation. That really makes you look at the Bible in a completely different manner. That's fantastic. My left and right side of my brain exploded. It's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about this. Think about this. You have names for Jesus. Were any of you guys raised in church? Yes. Uh, I was. Partially, yes. <laughs> okay. Listen to this. When the sun is in Capricorn, the goat, Jesus is known as the scapegoat of Israel. When the sun is in Aquarius, he's known as the son of man. When the sun is in Pisces, the two fish, he's known as the fisherman of men. And it's also why he could feed the masses with two fish. When the sun's in Aries, the ram, he's known as the lamb of God. When the sun's in Leo, he's known as the lion of Judah. When the sun, the lady holding the stalk of wheat, Virgo, he's born of a virgin and he's called the bread of life. When Jesus is in Libra, the scales of justice, he's known as the just one. And it's also why he's worshipped on the sun day. Because he represents the sun. What? <laughs> Blowing my mind away. I could never talk to my mom about this. <laughs> there's no there's no way. <laughs> it's actually a really beautiful explanation for the Bible. It is. It is. It's always been said, you know, don't take the Bible literally, but if you look at it through the symbolism and the zodiacs as you describe them, it makes perfect sense. I've never looked at it that way, though. So that's a whole eye-opener. So let me ask you guys. I'm going to start going into some decodings, okay? Sure, yeah. I haven't really done much yet, but here's the deal. Okay. So have you guys heard of the phrase, pride comes before the fall? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. One of you guys explain to your listeners what you take it to mean or what people mean, mean out of it. 
It's like if a person is too arrogant, they'll make a mistake in a really big way eventually. Right. That's typically what people usually like to say. However, do you guys know what a group of lions is called? Pride. A pride. Yeah. A pride. Exactly. Pride is the lion. Lion is the sign Leo. Leo is in July and August. That comes before the fall. Oh, jeez. <laughs> what the? <laughs> Just breaking it down. What? No, he's not breaking it down. He's breaking my brain. <laughs> it's amazing. Does that make a little more sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot that's, of sense. It makes that all, makes sense. all, yeah, all sense. of it. Everything. It's all coming together. In the book of Micah, which is my namesake, by the way, Micah 5.2, he predicts that the Savior is going to come from a town called Bethlehem in Israel. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Mm -hmm. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. The word Bethlehem, however, in Hebrew is a combination of two words. Bet means house. And lechem means bread. So it's the house of bread. Well, I just told you that the house of bread was Virgo with the wheat stalk, right? Sounds like a really good bakery. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the house of bread, yeah. <laughs> so basically, this is the virgin. So when Micah says that the Savior comes from Bethlehem, the Savior will come from the house of bread, the virgin, he's really saying, or he's alluding to the fact that the Savior will come from a virgin. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to read you one right now that you, that you guys are going to love, too. I'll let you count them, okay? I'll emphasize it, too. He gave them honey. This is Deuteronomy 32. He gave them honey from the cliffs and olive oil from the rocky ground. He gave his people butter from the herd and milk from the flock. He gave them lambs and goats. They had the best rams from Bashan and the finest wheat. They drank the best wine made from the juice of red grapes. But Jeshurun became fat and kicked like a bull. So do you see how many signs are just in that one passage? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Just littered throughout it. I specifically paid attention to Libra because that's me. So I'm a Libra too, yeah. Yeah. I am a Taurus. Yeah, same. Oh, look at that. There's two that I didn't go over with you. He gave them honey from the cliffs. In the sign Cancer, there's a group of stars called the Beehive Cluster. So that's where your metaphorical honey comes from. Makes sense? Hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's in Cancer. Then he gave his people butter from the herd and milk from the flock. That's milk-based. That comes from the Milky Way galaxy. Okay? And the Milky Way galaxy centers in Sagittarius. So when they're talking about the land from Cancer, the beehive cluster, to Sagittarius, the Milky Way galaxy, that is your land of milk and honey. Like that's damn shit. You know, I just want to jump in here. The writer of the Bible, well, you know, the author of the Bible, he or they or, you know, whatever it may be, the, the conclave, obviously, if this is the translation into astrology, had to have extensive knowledge of astrology. You got to understand they had to. We take for granted that we have like I'm looking at my clock right now on my computer as I'm reading this to you. The ancients didn't have calendars, watches, smartphones. They didn't have alarm clocks. They didn't have any of that kind of stuff. You got to realize this. They could only look at the non-polluted sky, see the stars, and then see the bull and be like, oh, now we have to plow. Otherwise, we're going to starve to death in the, in the fall <laughs> and the winter. They had to know when winter was coming. They had to know when the sun was going to go down because all the animals were going to come out and it was going to be dangerous because we weren't that far removed from the food chain. So you got to remember, this was, this was their way of life. This was a farmer's almanac for them. 
And they encoded this stuff because this was the secret information at the time. This was the secret information that kept you alive. And they couldn't just openly talk about it. Okay, because the religious people had a monopoly on on keeping this taken literally. In your work, in the future maybe, do you ever think about maybe just decoding the entire Bible and kind of rewriting it as astrology-based? Um, If it serves a purpose. I mean, I've already gotten six books out of it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> in my book series, you know? So yeah. I, I do a lot of this work. I, I condense a lot into like an hour presentation. But I've done the Book of Revelation, the Book of Enoch, the Secret Gospel of John, the Book of Thomas, um, the Enuma Elish, which is the Babylonian creation story. These are all books that are uh, the Book of Matthew, okay, line for line astrology. So basically, I've done all this already, you know, and I think it's just proven the point. Let me show you how this code actually works in real time, okay? Now, have you guys heard of opposing signs or cross signs? Uh, no. Okay, so who's the Libra? Uh, that would be Mystery Mike. Okay, Mike, you're a Libra. I'm a Libra too, okay? Our cross sign is Aries, okay? So basically, what there's 12 signs, okay? So we're the ninth sign, so you have to look at the third sign. Basically, you look six signs away from you is mm. your cross sign, okay? Because it's literally directly across the Zodiac. When they talk about things in the Bible, they're either talking about the, the sign to the left or the right of it, or they're talking about its cross sign. And that's how you know it was done on purpose, because there's a formula for this. For example, have you heard of Jesus and the Mount of the Olives? Yeah. So Jesus led his disciples to the Mount of Olives after his last Passover, so he could teach them a few more things, pray, then wait for Judas to betray him. While walking to the Mount of Olives, he gave the parable of the true vine. That's the story. Now, here's how it works astrologically. Passover takes place in Aries. Okay, as I've mentioned before. The passing over, the Passover, God's Passover. Okay. So that's in Aries. We're right after that. He walks to the Mount of Olives. Olives are in Libra. As I just mentioned, those are cross signs. So you cross the Zodiac. Mm -hmm. They're opposing signs. They're in Libra. They're waiting for Judas to betray him, which happens in the next sign of Scorpio, the betrayer. Remember? Yep. So you cross the Zodiac and then it's the next sign over. While they're waiting for the betrayal in Libra, he gives the parable of the true vine. And the true vine is is Libra. That's the vineyard, the wine press. So that's how this stuff is encoded. That is wild. That is absolutely wild. All right, Micah. So we want to dive into a couple other things that you specialize in. And the list goes on and on. We were so excited to have you on the show because we wanted to literally ask you a thousand questions. But we won't. <laughs> People like uh, physicist Tom Campbell and lucid dreamer Ian Wilson have talked about shared dreaming experiences and right. how it affects their waking lives. Do you think within the realm of shared dreaming or lucid dreaming that whatever we manifest could be transmuted into the real world? Oh, absolutely. The law of attraction does not end just because you're sleeping. In fact, I believe that when you're sleeping, you're actually visiting parallel universes of yourself. To be honest with you, uh, when it comes to shared dreaming, I actually wrote a, a, a thing in the book about that, about shared dreaming, because one of the characters in book four goes into a coma. And it's much like Inception. They have to go into his dream in order to get information from him in order to continue their search. Okay? So what they do is they get put on what's called a DMT drip, dimethyltryptamine drip. Mm -hmm. Okay, because people could smoke DMT and then it's completely unregulated and such. But if you 
infuse it through an IV, you can kind of control it in the same way that like Michael Jackson was uh, put to sleep with propofol and they could like wake him up whenever they wanted. It's the same kind of deal. You know, they're just now starting to do this. So a lot of the stuff I talk about is like fringe science, uh, a lot of conspiracies, a lot of um, conspiracies you don't know about, a lot of astrotheology. That's like the main thing throughout the books. But yeah, no, I, I think that you're you're visiting alternative realities of yourself. I don't doubt it for a second, honestly. And as far as shared dreaming goes, whenever you have people who, I mean, you hear it all the time, people who take DMT and they see like the gnomes, they have the same experience. Like they're going to the same dimension and they're seeing the same stuff. I always wondered if that was just people hearing about previous experiences from someone who's done TMT, and then it's just kind of this transferred imagery when they themselves do DMT. Well, some of it can be the power. Some of it can be the power of suggestion. I, I believe that that's fine. If you plant an idea, it's like the idea where you tell somebody, "Don't think of, don't think of an elephant." What's the first thing you think of? Yeah, right. <laughs> You know, it's that kind of thing. So, of course, that there's a possibility for that. But there's just too many cases all over the world of people sharing the same exact uh, experience. It's really interesting that we bring this up because I was just listening to a different podcast maybe two nights ago. And they started just talking about cacti. And then they, they moved their way into DMT. And they were talking about this exact same thing thousands and thousands of people having very similar experiences going to the same place. And they discussed whether that might be just like suggestion. Tequila comes from cactuses too. So they do have hallucinogenic tequila. Oh, absolutely. But what I'm saying is maybe in the next couple of years throughout the next decade, as more research starts to get done on these hallucinogens as like actual medicine, they do some research into DMT and they get subjected groups of people that haven't really heard prior knowledge about DMT and see what they experience. I think they need research studies where people have no prior idea, see what they come up with, and maybe that would validate that kind of going somewhere in particular. Well, you know what they have now? I write about this too in my books. Um, Japan came out with this because they're so far ahead of us, Japan, oh, yeah. the Japanese people. They came out with this machine that it's like a Neuralink that hooks up to your brain. And then what it does is while you're sleeping, it records your electromagnetic yeah. pulses in your in your alpha, delta, gamma, all your, all your wave sleeps. Okay? And then what it does too is when you, when you talk, you're – not when you talk, when you're thinking, you're thinking words in your head, like when you're just daydreaming or whatever, your larynx micro vibrates the words. Okay. And there's ways to measure that. Okay. So they hook it up to your larynx. They hook it up to this. And what they can do is they can actually see mm -hmm. what you're dreaming. They were able to put it up on a screen. I've never heard of that. Jeez. Yeah, no, that, that came out a couple months ago. I heard about it. Fascinating. Now, Micah, we've read that you have knowledge on NDEs or near-death experiences, and we'd love some of your opinion right. on some of the experiences surrounding the phenomena as a whole. So there's a great book out there by a lawyer, a retired lawyer in Australia, in Australia named Victor Zamet, and he wrote a book called A Lawyer's Case for the Afterlife. And what he did was he took the afterlife 
and he presented a court case for it as far as lawyers go mm-hmm. with facts and evidence and things of that nature. It was a great book. One of the things he talks about is the case of Pam Reynolds. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that. Pam Reynolds was a musician in the 70s. She's, she died in the 90s, but she was a musician in the 70s who came down with a, a ganglioma on the base of her brainstem. Now, at the time, what they could do is if they opened her up, Right. If they opened her up and they cut this tumor out, she would have bled out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what they did was they came up with this idea that they were going to chill her in an ice bath down to 50 degrees, drain the blood from her head, put her on bypass. So she's in all essences, she's dead. Okay. They put clicking devices in her ears that would snap like this. And every time it would snap every second or two, it would measure her brainstem response. Hmm. Okay, it measured her brainstem response because if the brainstem what? responded, that means blood was still flowing to it and she would have bled out. Okay, so she was dead for all intents and purposes. They covered her eyes with electrical tape. Okay, then they cut her open. Now, the thing about people with NDEs is usually they have very uh, elaborate uh, experiences, and some could attribute that to DMT because what DMT does is dimethyltryptamine is only secreted in your life twice. Yep. It's secreted uh, every night when you dream in REM sleep. It helps you dream. That's what DMT does. And the other time is it floods your body as it shuts down to die. Okay, so that's where all the NDEs usually come from is from the flood of DMT. Mm-hmm. But what they did is usually what people have is they're unregulated. You know, people just have random NDEs and, and, and you're supposed to just take their word for it. She was in a controlled environment. Her ears and her eyes shut. Okay, And when they started having surgery, she detached from her body, floated above it, and was able to watch her own surgery. She heard the nurses say that her arteries were too small to try – I mean her veins were too small and they needed to use an artery and flip it upside down, which is how they use it – what they usually do. She saw them use uh, like a bone saw. She described the bone saw. She heard the conversations from them. And when they brought her back to life, she explained this and everybody in the room turned white. You know, this is the most concrete evidence of an NDE that happened because it was in a controlled environment. Do you by any chance know of any cases of people that have done DMT and had a near-death experience and were able to kind of connect the two by any chance or no? Uh, I have not. No, no. That, that, that might be a little too powerful for people. Possibly. Just a quick follow-up to that. Now, with this flood of DMT at the time of death and and when your body is kind of shutting down, do you think that kind of acts as as maybe a spiritual lubricant to pass to another dimension or, quote, afterlife? That's exactly what it is. Yeah? That's exactly what it is. Yeah, absolutely. We are eternal beings. The first law of thermodynamics is matter cannot be created nor destroyed. You know, so we will physically exist in particles in other things. They say that maybe a hundred million of our cells were in dinosaurs. What? You know, the iron in our blood could have only come from an explosion in the stars. You know, there's there's so much more to this than we know. But nobody nobody studies non physical phenomena. Tesla. Tesla famously said when they start studying non-physical phenomena, they'll make more progress in 10 years than they've made in an entire existence. Yeah, that kind of goes into where energy can't be, you know, existing energy can't be destroyed or created. It It just transmutes. And that's all we all are. We're just vibrating energy. Yeah. The third principle of, uh, are you familiar with hermetics? No, go into that a little bit. 
or Hermes or the Emerald Tablet of Thoth. No, no, no please explain. Hermes, Trismegistus from the Egyptians, or Toth, the Emerald Tablets of Toth, was they had a, uh, there's a book that his third principle is the principle of vibration, that everything vibrates, nothing rests. Okay? String theory 8,000 years ago is only catching up to that idea right now. The idea that there's 11 dimensions, there's miniature strings at a plank level that vibrate at a specific resonance, and the resonance gives it its color, its taste, its, its properties. And we're only learning that now. So we're all just vibrational energy. You know, crystals themselves, crystals, believe it or not, are neither solid nor liquid. They vibrate at such a high frequency, they have the appearance of solid. I heard something along those lines, but I never really uh, looked into that. That's such an interesting whole dynamic to crystals, really. We did an episode on the Montauk Project, and we didn't touch on the Stargate Project from the 1970s. Was the Montauk Project that uh, that animal that washed up? No. <laughs> no. No, that was the Montauk Monster. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> so in that, they talk about remote viewing and some of the individuals who could supposedly remote view, would it be possible for them to explore other dimensions or alternate timelines? Um, I think you lose the variability of, of space. You can kind of detach from yourself in space. You could talk about astral projection too, you know, when you're sleeping, astral projection. But remote viewing, and I write about this in my second book, it doesn't detach you from time. Okay, and it's been declassified. There are generals that talk about how there was factories of people that used to be trained to do this and how they found countless things. You know, there's a method to this. I don't know the exact method, but absolutely remote viewing works. Yeah, I, I think we've mentioned before, it just came to mind since you, you mentioned the generals, weren't the CIA like training people to, to do this stuff for like testing people that were doing this stuff and kind yep. of um, weaponizing it to an extent? The men who stare absolutely. at goats. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yes. With exploring those dimensions, would they be able to interact with those timelines or those dimensions, or would it be only restricted to their own reality, do you think? I, th I think you, the that's a great question. You can't interact. So you're, you're separate. It, it separates your spirit so that you can go anywhere in the world and see anything. But as far as I know, they don't remote view for the cosmos. So there's got to be some laws in place that allow us to just stay here. You're not remote viewing like the Pleiadian clusters. Yeah, I think when they were working on remote viewing, it was obviously for spy capabilities and being able to look at launch sites in Russia and what, whatever the case may be, looking at the opposition. It's, it's interesting that they never kind of thought beyond the earthly realm. Right. Since you're so well versed in the whole like religion aspect of things and we're touching on remote viewing, I feel like I have to ask what your thoughts are on the alleged chronovisor that the Vatican holds. The Vatican has some sort of technology or something called the chronovisor that allows them to perform some sort of remote viewing through timelines. Through timelines. I haven't heard too much of that. Like I have my first two books deal with the Vatican and all the problems with them where I talk about things like the black Pope, mm. you know, and, and what basically happened. It's just, it's a fictional account of what really happened. But, um, I have not heard that they've had that to be honest with you. I wouldn't doubt it, you know, and I'm sure they have one. Um, I just, I don't know how it would work. There's one subject that you're familiar with and that's acoustic levitation. 
could you explain to some of the hushlings a bit about how you came interested in the topic itself? Yeah, so acoustic levitation um, is how the pyramids were made, okay? You can literally go to YouTube now, and we do it on a small scale because we had forgotten this technology. You do it on a small scale. What you do is you can look up acoustic levitation rock or something on YouTube, and what you'll see is you'll see this flat rock, this heavy rock that's sitting on this like acoustic board. And what they do is they vibrate it. They vibrate the board. And it just shoots the stone up into the air like a tinker toy. And that's how they used to make the, the pyramids so perfectly is because they used to have this technology. It's fascinating, to be honest with you, how far we've fallen since like the time of the Egyptians. Do you think that they were built on the timeline that we go by that they were built, that they're older projects instead of like the current like timeline that we're taught? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know that. They had working knowledge of electricity. We know that they had the Baghdad battery thousands and thousands of years ago. We know that they had this stuff. All the pyramids throughout the world are on an energy grid that perfectly lines up with one another. We're talking about the ley lines. Yeah. Can you tell at least the three of us a little bit about the capstones? Because I know you have some things about religious secrets that are held inside the capstones of the pyramids. And that is, the pyramid stuff is super intriguing to me. Right. So the capstones were removed. Okay, nobody knows by who, but I think it was the Vatican. What the capstones used to do. So you got you got to understand is that the pyramids themselves they used to be covered in limestone. It was white limestone that covered the whole thing. Like right now, you could see all the blocks and everything. That was just the that, that's just the guts of the pyramid. Okay, it used to be covered by a giant white limestone. Okay, and on the top of it, they had a golden capstone. Okay, because gold is a conductor of electricity, and uh, in my books, in my second book, I talk about the capstones being black, but that's just for aesthetic purposes in, in fictionary literature. But the capstones, what they did was they used to they used to be free energy machines. The way Tesla made his uh, his giant one that he mm-hmm. did, that they destroyed, he relearned the science through his use through the Akashic records. He relearned the science, but yeah, they used to be they they used to be energy portals there's a guy in uh in georgia a few years ago four or five years ago okay who built a pyramid on his farmland okay because he just heard about it and he, he just wanted to see what happened and it turned out that the crops that grew in the in the pyramid the crops that grew in the pyramid grew four times as fast as the crops outside the Whoa. pyramid. i've never heard that story you said this happened in georgia yeah, yeah. something i've never heard and it was closed off to like light and whatnot it was. So these capstones and these pyramids are kind of working as either more advanced or, or different types of Tesla coils. Yes. That would be a good way to explain it. There's always been said the thought that pyramids were some sort of energy generators, especially with, like we said, the, you know, being positioned on the ley lines, you know, how they were built and where they were built positionally. So that does very much line up. And I would love to see someone rebuild a pyramid the way that the ancients did and see how that's all powered and how that all works out, especially with a gold capstone to conduct it all. Right. I want to pull it back to your book series because I want to give you a chance to let everybody know about your book series. So you have a six book series. 
for now. I might write a seventh or anything. It's the Into the Rabbit Hole. That's the series. Right. Um, and then each one is individually named and, and has their own individual story. You've written about these theories and the things that you've studied, but put them kind of given them a fictional twist right. with characters and whatnot. Tell us about the book series. So the book series follows a character named Graham, who's a functioning alcoholic Harvard medical student. And um, he's not into conspiracies or, or into deep esoteric stuff at all. And his best friend is. Um, he's a Mensa kid, and he's incredibly bright. And instead of being a doctor, he ended up uh, working for this kind of stuff, this conspiracy stuff. I have a character in my book, Blur Slanders, who's basically Alex Jones. You know, I listened to Alex <laughs> for like a year and I just got his like nuances down and I just basically translated it into a book form. But what happens is he in the first book, he gets a letter from his he gets a call from his mother that his brother, who is a uh, who was a Marine in Syria. Now, I wrote this in 2013 and I wrote that he was a Marine hmm. in Syria and um, that he died under mysterious circumstances. And then he ends up having to go. To Washington D.C. to get a medal from the president uh, for his brother. Yeah. While there, while in D.C., he's staying at his old frat house with his one of his with his current roommate, um, and he goes through his emails and he comes across an email that he must have overlooked because he's always drunk and everything, and he's kind of a hot mess. And this letter is just this nonsensical rambling letter, and then he brings it back to calm to show his girlfriend and his best friend and everything. And his best friend, after 20 minutes of looking at it, realizes that it's an encrypted code and they have to decode the whole thing. So basically that's what they end up doing. And it takes them all the way up to like the Vatican, the president, this and that, and what's being hidden from the public. And the information that's being hidden is real information. The story's fiction, but what I release is real information. It's kind of a more in-depth and extensive national treasure movie. Yes. <laughs> I would love to read these books. A lot of these stories that you put in there are very interesting, and a lot of the subject matter is wild. It's top of the game right there. Yeah, I mean, I got all the topics that you guys see that I, that I talk about, they're all in the books. And I go deep into astrotheology, too. I basically prove that it's an encoded book, that it's not literally the word of God. And... Um, I mean, if you guys want to get them through me, I sell signed copies, you know, because I don't mind people getting them through Amazon. But a lot of people in our communities don't like like our conspiracy type communities don't like to give money to Bezos. So I started selling. Yeah. <laughs> I started selling uh, signed copies directly from my house. So I've been selling it. I've been selling a ton of copies. So if you guys are interested, just reach out to me. Hell yeah. I saw your uh, social media posts where you were sending out a bunch of books and I was like, wow, he's got piles and piles of packages to go out. Yeah. That's fantastic. I just want to wrap up our interview. Micah, please let everybody know where they can find you. I know you got your book series, but anything else that you have going on? So I'm at uh, Twitter at Real Mr. Dank. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Micah Dank. On Facebook, I have a group called Micah Dank Into the Rabbit Hole. You know, you can join uh, if you guys are interested in getting the books, you can go to Amazon. But if you want signed copies directly through me, just message me. And uh, that's that's pretty much it. Micah, thank you so much. We would love to have you on another declassified discussion because, like we said, you cover a lot of interesting topics and we just – we need more time. <laughs> we have to dive 
deeper into a lot of the things that you are versed in. So please come back again and thank you so you much. You have my for being info. You have my episode. info, guys. Let me know about the books. Let me know when you want me back on. Absolutely. It'll have to happen. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Hushlings, again, and we look forward to seeing you on the next Declassified Discussions. I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. Hushlings, join us next time. Give your attention to Slick Frank Sanders and the Mollywop Band. And good night. Oh, my God.